You know, when Alexis was talking earlier about communion, it struck me, you know, some may question why. why not, not why do we do communion, yeah, it's, a, it's in remembrance of him, but, but why do we seek repentance before we do it? You know, we're, we're covered by his blood. We're not in sin, you know, if we've accepted Jesus Christ. But it's because of the fellowship. It's because of the proximity to Jesus Christ that he wants us to have. And, and that's something that if you don't really purposely think about that, you don't really realize the importance of that. Why? Because we live in a three-dimensional world plus time. <laughs> you know, we, we don't think of what we don't see unless we purposefully think about what we don't say, right? But as you develop habits in seeking God, as you develop moments in your life where he speaks to you, and you have this time together, then you develop those habits. And they become habits because you receive relationship. That's what we're talking about this morning. i, I got to tell you, um, <laughs> I love worship. I led worship for 15 years. And normally, I'm, I'm just like, Let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. And i got to say, this is one of the first Sundays where I've just been waiting. Lord, I, I feel like this, this racehorse ready to get out of the gate. Because I know what the Lord has for us this morning. And what he has... Can everybody hear me better now? Is that better? And what he has for us is from him. The reason I'm excited isn't because I know what I'm going to say. And that's the funny part. I went to sleep last night. You can ask Alexis. I went to sleep last night just praying, Lord, you have filled me up with so much this week. I'm really not sure how to put it together. I'm really not sure how to organize it in a way that it's going to make sense. So, so God, I, I just need you to take it. And he does. And I think he does it that way on purpose. Because when I walk up here, it's about him and what he wants to say. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. And as we open your word, we do not take for granted the precious, building of a relationship that you desire. It is a building. It's not an on or off thing. It is a building. So, Father, as we step toward you, you promise then to step toward us. And this morning as we open your word, we pray that it's your words, not mine. That it's exactly what each of us needs to further that relationship with you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. I think part of why I'm excited about this series, and if you recall, it, it really wasn't meant to be a series. Now we're on part three. And I have a feeling it might even go into next week after... Last night, we'll see. But the reason I'm so excited about this series is because I think this is really the essence of what Ignition's calling is. This is the essence of what my calling is, I can tell you that. Everywhere that God will have me preach, if, if they don't hear something about relationship, something about intimacy something about hearts being synced with the Father through a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I, I, I'm sick or something. Rest assured. Because, see, this is the essence of what he wants. But in reality, it's the essence of what we want. This is what we seek. 
We seek relationship in everything we do, whether you think so or not. Whether you're close to Christ right now or not. Whether you even know him now or not. It's what you seek. Why? Because when we were created, we were created for that purpose. We were created for the very purpose of relationship with God. That's why he created us. So when we don't fulfill that relationship, there become voids in our life. So if we get that part right, if we get the part of seeking him first, of seeking him in everything that we do, of seeing him as the most precious relationship, real relationship, by the way, not something that, well, I'm just kind of praying into the sky, but real relationship, then it will not only change our lives, but it will change the lives around us. Why? Because when he fills us up, he overflows and he comes out. And he will permeate and he will affect everything that he touches. Everything. You want to be effective for Jesus Christ? Be selfish. Let me repeat that. You want, to be, you, you want to be effective for Jesus Christ? Be selfish in one way. Pull in as much of him as you can. Into your relationship, into your life, into, into who you are. Pull as much of him as you can in. Why? Because at some point it's going to pour out. At some point you are filled up. You are in joy, he is in control, and it just comes flowing out. And all of a sudden, the people around you start getting affected, right? Remember, I've I've told before that illustration of a 50-gallon drum. This 50-gallon drum, you take a hose, you put it in this empty drum, you turn the hose on, and you leave it, and you let it fill up. That, That water that it's being filled up with is the Holy Spirit. Well, at some point, you have a choice. Well, it's getting near the top. Let me turn that off. No. See, you don't want to do that because if you want to affect people around you, you want to leave it go. As a matter of fact, you turn it up full blast and you just leave it alone. You turn it up full blast and you take a welder and you weld it in place so you can't shut it off. You have it to where it just flows. Why? Because, one, you'll stay filled. But two, you affect the people around you. And i got to tell you, from a practical aspect, it makes life more fun. It really does. It makes you a happier person. It makes you an effective person. All of a sudden, the things that you think of in life that are so tough, they're just not tough anymore. They just aren't. Why? Because we gain a little bit different perspective. We gain this kingdom perspective. Right, so I've been really excited about this, this series and what it means. And if we could take this thought, this single thought of intimacy with Jesus Christ to the world, then that's what we're going to do. That is our calling. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about this. We've been talking about sinking our heart with the Father's heart. Right? Remember last week we talked about seeking a synchronized heart was going to be a road marked with trials. In other words, don't expect that when you step into this life that, well, I'm with Jesus now, so it's all going to be easy. (laughs) Jesus didn't promise that. He promised that it would be fulfilling. He promised fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. He promised all those things. He didn't promise it would be easy. That's what we talked about last week. We also talked about the power that we're given in this walk with him. Last week, if you remember, we talked about that when we're walking with him in intimacy, we have a power to bind things here on earth. Because if we bind, it says what what is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, we have a partner when we are seeking him in intimacy. We have a partner to work through the things that we're working through. That's what the binding and that's what the loosing are. 
It's this effectiveness in the spiritual realm. I want you to turn, something we read last week, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I just want to reiterate this again. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 17 and 18. Because this is, if this were not true, then you're wasting your time reading the Word of God. If this were not true, you're wasting your time placing your whole relationship responsibility and, and, and hopes and dreams and everything else on Him. If this were not true. Let's read. Verse 17 says this, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit, capital S, Spirit, this Holy Spirit, of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So what He does, if we see through His eyes, if we ask the Holy Spirit to engage in our study, in our reading of the Word of God, He gives us wisdom and He gives us revelation of knowledge of Him. In other words, he makes the Bible come alive. He takes the words and he makes them jump off the page. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, that you may know. Let me say that again, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. He said that you may know. Not that you may guess. Not that you may know a little bit and be a little confused. So if there's something you're confused in the Word of God about, you go to this verse and say, Lord, you promised. You promised to send your Spirit to help me understand this passage so that I might know. So that I might have confidence in and know what you're saying here. Because, God, I need this in my life. I need this to direct my life. And you promise. So hold him to it. He loves it when we hold, it to, hold him to his promises. So that you may know. So that's what we're doing here this morning, right? We're opening the word of God so that we may know what our inheritance is. So that we may, we may know the promises that he has for us that we could count on. I want you to turn to John chapter 15. Jesus gives us a blueprint of what our intimacy with him should look like. That's what this passage is. And there's a lot in here. And this is, this is where I just got lost. So I, I don't really have a, a, a direction we're going to go with this, because there, again, there's a lot in here, so I apologize if I rabbit trail. But we're going to read, let's start just in, in verse 1, 15, John 15, verse 1, and let's read through this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. See, what Jesus is doing here, he, he's giving a picture of what he is. He's giving a picture to teach his disciples how this life of sanctification works. Verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I want to stop for just a second and set up what's going on here. First of all, understand every branch in me. Okay, we're talking about saved people here. We're talking about people that know Jesus Christ, have, have accepted him into their heart as Savior. Okay, that's going to be important to understand as we read on. Because most people read this passage thinking there's a difference between saved and not saved. As we read later on, you'll understand what I'm saying. So, so understand that each branch... In me, in Jesus Christ, accepting him as Savior, that does not bear fruit, he, the Father, takes away. Okay, it, it, this is just hitting me right now. Do you, do you realize that Jesus said, 
of, of those who the Father gave to me, I have protected. Those who the Father gave to Jesus are those who accepted Jesus into their hearts. But wait a second. It says he will take them away if they don't bear fruit. Okay, that, that can be a little confusing. What you have to understand as we start going here is we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about that ticket to heaven. We're not talking about justification of our sin. Okay, what we're talking about here are fruit. Bearing fruit in our lives. So if we don't bear fruit, the Father takes that branch out. Why? Because he wants fruit to be produced in that person. Now, by the way, proof of that is Jesus said, All those who you have given to me, I have not lost any but one. He said Judas. And he said that was because you had a purpose in that. So he has not lost any that the Father has given to him. So if you're talking about salvation, that takes us 1 Corinthians 1, 13 and 14, that, that once we're saved, once we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we do not ever lose that, period. We can't even give it back if we wanted to, because the Holy Spirit seals us until we receive our inheritance. So it's important you understand we are not talking about salvation here. We are talking about fruits. We're talking about bearing fruit as a Christian. Let's move on. So in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If you're going through pain in your life because you're trying to follow Christ, that's pruning. Do you know what pruning is? It's ripping off the bad stuff. I don't know if you've ever pruned a tree or a branch, but, but if the branch is dead or a little twig is dead or whatever, you, you prune it off. You take it off. You know, there's pain involved there. The Father prunes us. Verse 3, already you are clean, referring to when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we are justified because of Christ's blood. So already you're clean. He's given a contrast of justification versus sanctification. He's giving a contrast of accepting Jesus Christ into our hearts versus living for him. See, that's one of the biggest things that Christians fall into in a trap is, well, I'm saved. I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. That's all I need to do. He did everything. That's all I need to worry about. And what he's contrasting here is, you're correct. If all you want is that ticket to heaven, you are absolutely correct. Jesus did everything. All you have to do is accept him, his free gift. See, but there's more than that. There's this relationship. There is the act of bearing fruit is what he's talking about here. So he's contrasting the two. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So now that you're clean, in verse 3, verse 4 says what? Abide in me, and I in you. That word abide, let me look it up here. That word abide in the Greek means to stay in a given place, state, relationship with expectancy. Wow. To abide means that you've made the decision you're going to stay. You're not going to abide for a moment and, well, tomorrow I'll decide if I abide again. Well, that's not really abiding. That's called changing your mind. To abide means to stay. To abide means to remain in the same state, relation, or expectancy. So we abide, he says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. 
Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me or stays in me, not stays with me, but stays in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, and this is where it gets tough, and this is where I want to really make sure you understand, this is not talking about saved versus unsaved people. Because if you think that, you're going to miss the very thing God wants you to get. That there's responsibility with this relationship with Christ. There's responsibility with this. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Ouch. There's a lot in that verse. And on the surface, it's so much easier to think that, oh, well, good, that's the unsaved. But how often in the Bible does it talk about we are tried by fire? We are purified through the process of heat, of fire, of pain. See, that's what it's talking about here. Those who do not bear fruit, those who, who are cast off, withered, they're thrown into the fire. They're not thrown into the fire for destruction. Why? Because we're in Christ. We can never be taken out of Christ. When we're saved, we're saved forever. So, it's, so that branch is taken off, thrown on the ground, thrown in a pile, thrown into the fire to be tried, to be purified. I want you to think of the fire as a different kind of pain. A pain that we bring on ourselves. It's different than being pruned. Because when you're being pruned, you're being pruned, but you have the strength of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in you. Because he's working through you. This is a little different. This is, let's say, consequences. Consequences of our sin. Consequences of our choices that are not God's. Our choices that we just decide to do because we want to fulfill ourselves. So those consequences are being refined. You know, they're, they're being burned. That is a different kind of pain, a different kind that we'll label as consequences. So let's go back to abiding in him in verse 7, because what he says here is he gave a contrast of abiding in him or not in him. Bearing fruit, not bearing fruit. Both of those are in him. Remember verse 2. Both of those are in him, but then we have a choice. We can abide in him and we can bear fruit, be pruned by the Father, or we could choose not to, have consequences of that to where we wither and we're cast off to deal with those consequences. Verse 7, if you abide in me, you stay in me, and remember, notice it says in me, not with me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Now this is something we talked about two weeks ago. That he gives us, when we abide in him and we have a relationship with him, and we're working toward the same goals because his goals become our goals, he says, I'm going to give you ultimate gift. The ultimate gift. And that is what Whatever you ask, whatever, remember last week we talked about whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth, whatever you ask, it says right here in verse 7, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, this doesn't apply to everybody because of one word. The first word in verse 7 says, if. If you abide in me. Now think about it. If you're, if you're a manager or, or you're, you're 
working with a group of people that, that you train and you lead and everything else, the closer that you are with one of them, the closer that you know them, the closer the relationship with them, the more you trust them. The more you trust them to make decisions. The more you tell them, yes, you can, you can deal with this area over here. Why? Because I trust you. I know you. We've gotten to know each other. I've been able to train you. I know that you would make the same decision I would. See, that's what Jesus is saying here. If you abide in me, if you trust me, if you seek me intimately, and let me just say that that's different from pulling out a list of things of do's and don'ts. That's not seeking him. Right? That's trying to look good on the outside. That's what legalism does. That's not what it is. It's about intimacy with him. It's about relationship with him. If you abide in that relationship, he says, ask whatever you want. And I'll do it. Wow. (laughs) I don't know about you, that blows me away. First of all, that he would say that, but then it made sense to me that of course he'd say that. Why? Because if you're abiding in him, you've been trained by him. You've become to know him. He begins to trust you. Why? Because you have like minds. You have synchronized hearts. So he says, when you synchronize your heart with mine, I will give you the very power of God. (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. But then you look at the apostles' lives as, as they were disciples and then became apostles in Acts. If you look at their lives, you look at the things they did. This promise was applied to them. Anything that you ask, I will do. Why? Because... He knew their hearts were in sync with his. Their heartbeat was the same as his heartbeat. And because of that, he could trust them. He could trust their decisions. So this promise is huge. But this promise doesn't come just because you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Life does not become better roses just because you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. You've been given a gift of life, life eternal. You've escaped death eternal. But it doesn't mean automatic relationship. It's an open door to relationship. But as we've been talking about for weeks, relationship takes work. Anybody here who who has been married or had a long-term relationship you know that takes work. It takes focus all the time. You can't let it go for any period of time without doing damage to that relationship. It's the same with intimacy with Christ. You can't let that go. Well, you know what? This, this next couple days I'm on vacation, so you know what? I'll see you when I get back, Lord. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right? You would never do that to a relationship you care about. So understand it is about abiding in him. We take that step to abide in him, and that is work. It is work. Why? Because he tells us to take the step first. It is work to read our Bibles. It is work to claim his promise that we'll actually understand what we're reading. It is work to memorize. It is work to get along with the body of Christ. Okay? All these things are work. But how many of you have been in a career or done a job that you absolutely love to do? When you love the job, all of a sudden it's not work anymore. What used to be effort is no longer effort because you receive something from that. 
You know, if, if you love to be creative and you're a builder and you, I, I built houses before this and, and what I loved was the creative process of that. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I would go to work enjoying the creative part. The other parts, not so much. <laughs> but the creative part I loved. Why? Because I got something out of it. I got joy out of that. So see, as I got closer and closer to Christ, I started to learn that, man, I'm not just getting this disciplined life out of it. As a matter of fact, oftentimes I still haven't found that part. <laughs> but what I got was joy. What I got was a best friend that I could talk to anytime, all the time. Didn't matter. I got something out of that relationship. So in pursuing that relationship, just know that whatever you ask, if you're abiding in him, whatever you ask, it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified. So in doing that, in producing the fruit, the father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Stay in my love. Expect in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That's a huge statement. Because Christ is talking about... This is all the stuff that you get in relationship to me. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to have joy. You're going to have the fruits of the Spirit. All these things you get. Anything that you ask, you'll get if you abide in me. And then he says, to abide in me, you've got to keep my commandments. Right? Immediately, our mind starts going to that list again. Well, here's my list of a hundred things that if I do these, I'm, I'm in good shape. That's not what he says, though. We talked about it last week and the week before. What are his commandments? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. In other words, love him with everything you are, everything you have, and everything you will be. Just love him. Just love him. And the second he said is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's one thing that's in common in both of those commandments. It's love. It's not deciding who I'm going to love, because I'm pretty sure everybody's included in God and everyone else. <laughs> so God and our neighbors, all men, all women, we're to love. He wants us to get this idea that you, you have to understand love is what brought him here. Love is what sent, had the Father send the Son to die on the cross for our sins. Love is what did that. So he's saying if you could just get this concept of love, fall in love with me, Jesus Christ, fall in love with me, fall in love with the Father, fall in love with the Holy Spirit, Fall in love with the people around you that you have access to, that you have influence with. If you fall in love, you will abide. You will have fruit. The Father will then see the fruit that's happening in your life. Even if it's a little bit. If there's that little offshoot producing a little bit of fruit, then he says, okay, I'll work with this one. I can work with this one because there's a little bit of fruit there. So he takes those other branches, those other twigs, and he breaks them off so they don't take any of the energy that's around. And he prunes us to what? To produce more fruit. So if we abide in him, if we love him, if we love each other, then he's going to do that. He begins to prune. Now this verse blew me away. Verse, wait, no, I'm not there yet, sorry. 
Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Think of that 55-gallon drum again. He's saying, he's saying, I'm trying to teach you this because I'm trying to tell you that if you fill up and let it fill, it's my joy that you're being filled with. Can you imagine Christ's joy? Can you imagine if you had Christ's joy? Think about it. He, he became a man. He became a man just like us. If somebody slapped him, he felt it. He hurt. If somebody bruised him, he hurt. He felt the things we feel. Can you imagine we see the joy that he had? Can you imagine if we had that? Can you imagine what that joy would feel like? He's saying, this is why I want you to understand this process. Because my joy is the consequence of it. That's what you're filled with. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And this is the verse I was talking about, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You understand there's a difference between being his friends and being his bondservant? See, when we were saved, we became a bondservant to him. We became a bondslave by choice, by our choice, which is what a bondslave is. We chose to be purchased by his blood. Because we asked him into our heart. We chose to be owned by Jesus Christ. He is our master. He is our savior. We did that by choice. In doing that, we became his bondservant. But something else is happening here. We remain his bondservant until we develop a relationship with him. And in developing a relationship with him, in loving him, in loving others, in abiding in him, keeping those commandments, he says what? Verse 14, you are my friends. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, that all that I have heard from my father I have made known unto you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask, here it is again, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things have I commanded you so that you what? You love one another. That's, that's just huge. That's just huge. He, he literally offers us the world. He literally offers us everything that the Father has to give. If we would only understand that there has to be intimacy there first. Why? Because he has to trust our decisions. He has to trust that what we're going to decide is what he would decide. Again, that example of training somebody, if you're a manager, the more you pour into that worker, the more you pour into training them to do the task that you're doing, the more you can trust them to do it the right way. And then just like a manager, you never leave them alone. You trust them to do things, but you're interacting with them. You're on the phone with them. You're looking at results. You're seeing what's going on. You're engaging with them. That's relationship. That's what Jesus Christ does with us as we become these branches that are pruned. He works with us. He teaches us. We start making decisions that he would make and we can trust in that. 
And he trusts us for that. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 11. And this is interesting here. I was reading this last night. Romans chapter 11. And we're going we're gonna to read, let's see. We're going to start at verse 11. Okay, now what's talking about, what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about how the, that God was trying to get the Jews' attention to turn back to him. And because of their denial of him, because of their rejection of him, it allowed the, the Gentiles to be opened up to the gospel. In, in fact, Paul even says this um, in Ephesians 3, verse 4. He, he talks about it being a mystery to that in the Old Testament. That In the Old Testament, the prophets and all, they, they never knew. It was never, never uh, said that Gentiles would be grafted in. Gentiles would have the, uh, the opportunity to go to heaven without coming through Judaism, right? And, he, and Paul said he, he was able to reveal that great mystery. So that's what he's explaining this here. So let's, let's read in verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Talking about Israel. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Why would they be jealous, by the way? Why would they be jealous if, if their, their pharisaical setup is giving them everything? Why would they be jealous of someone who's saved and living in the Lord? Because they see the Lord in them. Because they see the very thing they seek, that intimacy that they seek, they see in somebody else. That's why they're jealous. That's what Paul's talking about here. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, verse 15, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, and this is what I wanted to get to. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, talking about the Gentiles, apparently we're wild, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And I want to read down. Let's, let's go, go down to verse 23. And even they, this is talking about Israel, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Now, there's a couple things going on here. First of all, this is prophecy, because the in the future, if you don't think that Israel has a future according to the Word of God, you're confused as to the Word of God. Because it will, the entire tribulation is not a judgment on Israel. You understand that? I know a lot of people reading the Bible really think that that's the case. The tribulation is a judgment on the world and how they treat Israel. That's what the tribulation is. And the end times brings Israel back into the forefront. They will be grafted back in to the branch. They will be grafted back in to produce fruit. Okay, and, and I don't want a rabbit trail there, but I want you to understand that God has the power to graft them in again. Now I want you to be careful 
Again, don't equate this with salvation. Don't equate this in John 15 with, well, they, they lost their salvation and now they can gain their salvation again. This doesn't mean that every time you sin, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, every time you've sin, you sin or, or something happens and you feel away from him, well, I better accept him again, you know, because I'm just not saved now. I lost my salvation. If I could get you to understand any verses beyond salvation, it would be these two. It would be Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let's turn there. Because I want you to mark these in your Bible. I want you to memorize them. I want you to be intimately knowledgeable of what these say. Because I promise you, it will come up in your life. Because Satan will bring it up in your life. He'll make you feel like you don't deserve salvation and what you really did was only temporary. But let's read what it says. In him, verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which is very simple, it's Jesus came, became man, as the Son of God became a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, seated now as we speak at the right hand of the Father. He is fully man, he is fully God. That's the simplicity of the gospel. So that's what it's talking about, the gospel of your salvation. And believed in him. When we did that, when we accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, we became sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And if it ended there, we'd have question. But verse 14 takes care of everything. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until, one of the greatest words in the Word of God, until we acquire possession of it. I don't know about you, that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty clear. That when I accepted Jesus Christ, I got saved, I became sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. He lives in my heart. Okay, He lives in my heart. I can't even kick him out if I wanted to. Why? Because it's not my power, it's his. It's not my power keeping him there. It's the power of Christ that was displayed on the cross. It is the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what keeps him there. And it's a guarantee. It's a stamp. That word there, guarantee, is, is like, like how... How Caesar would take his, his ring that was a stamp, put it into the, uh, the wax, and he would seal an envelope. If, you, if the envelope was not addressed to you and you broke that seal, when you weren't supposed to, you're in trouble. You can't do that. That is a guarantee. That, that law, when he would create a law, he would put his stamp on the law. And he was the only one that could change that law. So that's what we have guaranteed in our hearts. But you have to understand the difference between justification, which is what that is, our ticket to heaven, and sanctification. We've talked about it many times. Sanctification is how we live our life in relationship to Jesus Christ from the moment we accept him until we breathe our last breath. You know, this statement, I, I said this last, well, week ago, but it wasn't in here. I, I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was. But this statement came out of my mouth, and, and it probably hit me as hard as it hit the person I was talking to. And, and it just, it, it's, it's just been with me ever since. I mean, it, I can't get it out of my mind. We've talked about the difference between justification and sanctification. If you think, and this isn't the statement, but if you think that when we all get to heaven, which the first part of heaven, understand, is the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? 
That will be heaven. That will be the 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 first thing we go through before the final heaven. And and again, don't want to get rabbit trailed because if if we die right now, do we go to heaven? Yes, we go to heaven. <laughs> okay, but understand that there is a difference with those who are justified to go to heaven. There are fruits that the Bible says are eternal rewards. Some get them, some don't. Revelation chapter 3. Those who become conquerors will rule with him. Doesn't say everybody. Doesn't say that everybody is equal when we get to heaven. That's a sobering thought for me. See, because I never really thought about it before when I was younger. I never really thought about I, you know, I just accepted him. I never really thought about the fact that he wants intimacy with us. He wants closeness with us. Why? Because he doesn't get out of salvation what he died for, what he created us for. We do. We get life. We get life eternal. What does he get out of that? He gets opportunity for love. That's what he gets. So he doesn't automatically get what he desired when he created us for in the first place. He created us for love. He created us for fellowship. So what makes you think if you don't fellowship with him on earth that automatically he just fixes all that? You're not understanding the word of God if that's what you think. Because, see, those rewards are eternal. Those things that we do here on earth have effect. And this is the statement. Where you are at with Jesus Christ, when you take your last breath, is where you will be at with him your first day of eternity. Do you understand the relationship doesn't change? The intimacy we dwell here and we build here on earth is built through faith. And that doesn't mean that relationship won't be built there. I'm not saying that. But it's different. Jesus said, blessed are you who believe and yet do not see. Blessed are you who believe and yet do not see. We have an opportunity here. Why? Because we can't see him. And, and I don't know about you. For me, that's frustrating. I, I always want to see him. I, I want to feel him. I want to know he's there. But blessed are you who believe and yet do not see. See, it's through the process of not being able to see him of having to believe in him by faith, that we draw in intimacy to him. So when I thought about the fact that your last breath here on earth is a gauge of where your intimacy is with Christ, will be the same as your first breath in heaven. It will be heaven. Please don't get me wrong. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you are saved, and you will be in heaven. Doesn't mean you will be in intimacy with him. What does that mean? Does that mean, well, he loves me a little less? No. He loves us immeasurably. There's no bounds to his love. What is intimacy? Intimacy is proximity. Intimacy is access. When you have a relationship with somebody, you have access to that person. See, if, if you have not sought a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're saved... And you kind of don't pay attention to it. You kind of leave it here or there. You know, I'll come to church or I'll do this or I'll do that. But, you know, I kind of still like to do my own thing. You have limited your own access. You've limited your own access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. 
So when we limit that, remember it's our choice. It's no different when we're with him in heaven. And I'll tell you why. Because one thing Jesus Christ gave up when he became a man was him being everywhere all the time. Right? He cannot be two places at one time except through his Holy Spirit. Because he's fully man. He has the same glorified body that we will have. So in that, there's proximity to being with him. Doesn't mean that that you still can't have relationship. Obviously, we have relationship through the Holy Spirit. But see, it's going to be a little bit different when Christ comes to rule on this earth. Don't confuse yourself by thinking that's not going to be a physical thing. It is. So the investment we make right now in our relationship to Jesus Christ is a forever lasting relationship. Now, I don't know what's going to happen during the thousand-year reign in terms of sanctification there. I would assume, and and I, I don't see it in the Bible or whatever, but I would assume there are sanctification processes. I know they'll be different. Why? Because blessed is he who believes and does not see. You know, those are the ones he calls friends. Those are the ones he trains to make decisions that he knows will be his decision. So he says, whatever you ask, the Father will do. Why? Because I know your heart. I know you crave after me. I know you'll make the same decision I will. You know what, I'm going to close, but I, I do want to, I want to read one more thing. Matthew 25. Go to Matthew 25. And I I won't read through the whole thing here. Um, Matthew 25, uh, verse 14. Okay, and I'm just going to point out, and you guys can read this on your own, but I'm going to just tell you about what's going on here. Jesus is is using parables to explain the kingdom of God and and, uh, what it's going to look like. And he gives this parable of a talent, and he's got three servants, right? He's got three servants. Verse 14 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them in, with his property. So he had three servants, these, and the picture of this is three saved people. Okay, this is another place where, where a lot of people will get derailed thinking, well, well, this is really saved versus non-saved. No, all three are his servants. All three are owned by him. Right? Just like a bond servant, we are owned by Jesus Christ. So all three. He gave one one talent, and this, this is a monetary thing. He gave one two talents and one five talents. And he said, I'm going on a journey, and I'm going to trust you with what I'm giving you. That's like Jesus went on a journey when he ascended into heaven. He went on a journey and each of us he entrusts something to. The very gifts he gives us. The very things that are supposed to benefit the church and not just benefit ourselves. He gave those to entrust to us. Those things that would produce fruit. So to one he gave one, one he gave two, one he gave five, and then they went about their business. Now, if you read through here, you know he is a hard master. He has great expectation. Why? Because he paid a dear price for us. He paid a huge price for us. He paid the price of his son. So he had great expectation. So he, he so the, the master returns. As, as we read through this, the master returns, and the one with the five talents turns it into ten talents. Awesome. Great job. Come into my peace. Come into my rest. Great job. The one with two talents tur- <clears throat> turned it into four. Great job. Same response. Even though the one with five gained more 
in the gaining than the other one did fully in, in what he did. Yet, they were the same. Same response. Great job. You did fantastic work. Come into my rest. You did a great job. Then we get to the one with the one. And he said, I was so afraid. I was so afraid of what you gave me because I know you expect so much out of us. I, I, I was afraid I didn't want to lose it. I could not take the risk in losing what you gave me. That word risk is an important thing to remember. Why? Because it's risk to be a Christian. It's risk to try and follow in relationship to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the world's not going to like you. <laughs> right? Because there's that enemy out there who's going to hate you. Who's going to come after you. Who's going to try and discourage you. So there's risk. Well, this servant with one thing, he, he said, he said I, I can't take that risk. I'm going to go bury it. And he, he said, but here, I, I, I have your talent back. Your one talent back. What was the Lord's response? He said, thou slothful servant. You knew what I expected. You knew that I expected you to take risk. Would you the, just should have put it in the bank and at least got something for me? But instead you hid it. Instead you hid what I gave you and you didn't let it produce fruit. Let's look at what the answer is there. What he says to him. Uh, verse, yeah, let's start at 26. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. And give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. For the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. Let me be very clear here. This is not taking our salvation away. It's taking our usefulness. It's taking our fruit because, or or the, the capability of fruit, if you will, because we didn't use it. And then what does he do with that servant? And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now again, I, I don't want to get rabbit trailed here because we're at the very end. But don't equate this with salvation, save verse Sunday. <laughs> Don't take that, because this is not, this is misinterpreted here, where it talks about cast them into the outer darkness. Okay, that word there, let me look it up here. That word darkness is the Greek word skotos. It means obscurity, shadiness, less light. Now, I want to connect something with you here for a second. When we go to heaven, and then the tribulation period is done, Jesus Christ will come in conquering, come to this earth with all of us, and he will rule on this earth for a thousand years. That is not a metaphor. That is real. It has been promised in the Old Testament. It is prophesied and will be completed. As a matter of fact, that's why they hung him on a cross. Because the Jews were so upset, thinking that's what he was doing right then. Was that he was coming to conquer and create his kingdom here on earth. But we know that's not what he was doing doesn't mean he won't. He still is going to do that. When he does that, it says there will be no need for sun nor moon because Jesus Christ is the light. Now remember, Jesus Christ, he can only be one place at one time. Right? Okay, 
because of what he, he took on this same body that we have. The Bible says in the millennium, he will be seated in the temple. That's where he will be. So what it says here is, cast the servant away from the light. It's proximity to Jesus. Relationship is proximity to Jesus. There's a cost when we don't love him. It doesn't cost our life because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. But there is a cost in intimacy to him. There's cost in proximity to him. Now here and now, we don't see that cost because we don't see him. Blessed is he who believes and does not see. But see, then we will see him. And the cost will be proximity to him. Does it mean there's not joy? Does it mean there's not happiness? No. Heaven is perfect. There will be that joy. There will be that happiness. And, and as you begin to study what the millennium is about, understand that it will be perfect. But also understand that the millennium is different then after the great white throne judgment, when we go into heaven for eternity, it is different. We, we say, well, there won't be any, any crying in heaven. Okay, yeah, after the great white throne judgment, which is after the thousand year reign of Christ, that's when he wipes every tear. There will be tears in the thousand year reign. I think tears that have to do with what we realized we could have done here on earth. With what he gave us to do, what we could have done. That's where the tears are going to come from. Jesus, the opportunities that you gave me that I did not take advantage of. And it's, again, those opportunities are not about well, I have my checklist, and I did this ministry, I did that ministry, I, I, I helped this person, I helped that person. It's not that. You had the opportunity to have intimacy with Jesus Christ when you couldn't see him. That's the opportunity that we're going to cry over if we don't take it. But you know what? You have the opportunity to take it Right now. Because as far as I can tell, everybody in here is breathing. <laughs> we all still have that opportunity to take it right now. And one of the beautiful things about God is he does a clean slate every day. When you wake up, you have brand new opportunity every day. You don't have to be burdened by what you made the decision of in your past. You may have to suffer consequences of it, don't, don't get me wrong. But as far as intimacy with Christ, it is always there for you to have. Always. He's just waiting. He's just waiting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.